1: And just like my pants are done, it feels like the Brooklyn Nets are done. You're listening <laughs> to Canny and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, SiriusXM XM Channel 80, and ESPN+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter, at Chris Carlin and at ChrisCanny99. And as always, tap in on the Kenny Carlin line. That's 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. So, big fella, we saw what happened. In Game 3 in the Barclays with the Celtics taking the 109-103 to 103 victory over the Brooklyn Nets. And Game 4 is going to tip off tonight at 7 p.m. For more on that, as well as the overall series, we're going to bring in, yes, Network Brooklyn Nets analyst Frank Isola. And Frank, we're going to get right to it. When we looked at this series overall, a lot of blame has been placed on KD and Kyrie. But if you look at what's happened, they've been relatively closely contested games. You're talking about... All of the games essentially being, you know, clutch time games with both teams being within five in the last five minutes. Now, the Boston Celtics were one of the worst teams in the regular season in such games, and yet they find themselves being able to one-up the Brooklyn Nets in this series. I I think they've held the Nets to something like seven baskets or or seven points on 11 possessions in clutch time. So my question to you is how much of the blame does Steve Nash deserve in all of this, especially with the team coming up short in close, closely contested games?
2: Well, there's enough blame. How you guys doing? There's enough blame to go around for everybody, but I would only say this, you know, game one, 45 seconds to go. They're up three. You have to find a way to win that game. And it all started with them. Not only did they not get a stop on the Jalen Brown basket, but then Kyrie kind of dribbled into no man's land, you know, had tried to get Kevin Durant to bail them out. And then Jason Tatum hit the big shot. And then in game two, You know, you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving going one for 17 in the second half. So I don't know if if Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan went one for 17 in the second half, or Magic and Kareem, Kobe and Shaq, LeBron and Dwayne Wade, uh, Patrick Ewing and John Starks went one for 17 in the second half. You're just not going to win the game. So, you know, to me, it still comes down to the Stars. The Stars get a lot of credit when the team wins. I get it. Are there some things Steve Ness could do? Perhaps. But I I, I still think I'm surprised by how poorly – Kevin Durant has played in the series. He's got 19 field goals, 17 turnovers. But also, remember another thing, the Boston Celtics have been locked in all season long. The Nets have been, you know, James Harden shows up for camp out of shape. He then, uh, you know, kind of bails out on the team. Joe Harris gets hurt in November. You don't see him again. Kyrie Irving only plays in a handful of games. He wasn't even with the team until January. Kevin Durant missed 21 games. So, you know, the Nets haven't had a complete season and one team has been locked in since day one and only got better. You know, Boston was 26-6 and over their final 32 games, and now here we are. One team is up three games to none, and it's the team that, you know, treated the season like it was a part-time existence as opposed to the other team that has been using the regular season to get ready for the playoffs.
0: Frank Isola, yes, Network with us on the Nets and the Celtics tonight. Frank, with that in mind... The comment that Kyrie made the other day about not gelling until now as opposed to gelling until uh, gelling back in December as other teams did, I mean, it, it's, is the situation as delusional as that when you don't take responsibility for the gelling being a lot of it your fault?
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. The lack of self-awareness sometimes is pretty remarkable by someone like Kyrie, and Kyrie's a terrific player. We all know that. The problem is he's not reliable enough. You now, if you even go back to last year when they brought in James Harden, Kyrie kind of ghosted the team for two weeks. Like, where was he? Like, what was going on? You know, it always seemed – the one thing about Kyrie, there always seems to be something with him, and make no mistake about it. You know, when he was on Boston, they went to a conference finals without him. When he was on the team, they got knocked out in the second round, and here they are again, you know, on the verge of making it to the second round. And Cleveland went to the finals without him, too. Again, I, I believe, you know, he is a terrific offensive player. He just simply – doesn't play enough, but you know the lack of self awareness. You know it, it extends to other players too, including Ben Simmons. You, know, you haven't played since June 20th. You know there used to be a day in the NBA, Chris, when guys were hurt. They were like, I don't even know right know if the right word is embarrassed, but they kind of maintained a low profile because they kind of believed, you know, what, I'm not really helping my team. Ben Simmons is out there wearing you know orange pants. It, it's like he's telling everyone, look at me, look at me. Why should standing we out on the bench? You? You, haven't played, yeah. <laughs> you haven't played a basketball game since June 20th. Yeah, and Carl and
1: and uh, Frank, that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you about because we're starting to see reports that there are people within the Nets organization that are increasingly becoming frustrated with what they've get what they've getting or what they're not getting from Ben Simmons. Just where exactly is the franchise with Ben Simmons? Because this was supposed to be the centerpiece in the trade that they executed with the Philadelphia seventy sixers, and they essentially have gotten nothing in terms of the return on that investment.
2: You're right, and James Harden who was clearly frustrated with what was going on in Brooklyn, and I didn't like the way that he handled his departure from Houston. I don't like the way he handled his departure from Brooklyn, but he was upset, and now he's one win away from advancing to the second round, and the Nets, one loss away from being eliminated. Ben Simmons has yet to play. I think the funny thing was when everyone thought that Ben Simmons would come back at some point in the playoffs, realistically, what, what is he going to do if he does eventually come back this year? He hasn't played since June 20th. Well, the last time we saw him play, he was afraid to shoot the ball and if he did get fouled he couldn't go to the, he couldn't make free throws it was 15 of 45 he may have had for a big name player who had been an all-star making a huge salary it might have been the worst performance in a playoff series by any player of that stature now all of a sudden since not playing in 10 months he's going to he's going to just step in and immediately help the nets you know maybe for a possession or two as a situational player and it just tells you about the mentality of the players so Ben Simmons had an awful playoff last year and he decided to bail on the Australian national team, which is a big deal to play for them. They have great team camaraderie. They never want to medal. They end up meddling, by the way. And then you look at Kevin Durant, who had been out for over 500 days, had a terrific playoff last year, did everything he could to try to carry the Nets on his back. He took a week off and then went over to Vegas to train with the national team and he helped us win the gold medal. So, you know, the Nets need to, you know, figure out if Ben Simmons, you know, do you love basketball? Do you want to be out there playing? Uh, even if you look at this year and say, I forget, it. It, it's a total wash with him, which is a major disappointment, granted, but that's going to be a big question because he's under contract. It's not like he's going anywhere, and, you know, they're going to
0: need him. Frank Isola, Yes Network, with us on the Nets and Celtics tonight. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Frank, his actions have all supported what his initial decision was to come here in backing up Kyrie in every way possible. When does Kevin Durant start to reevaluate that decision? Does that happen this summer if they get swept or is it much longer beyond that?
2: Yeah. You know, when when he first decided to do it, you know, my initial reaction was you're really going to leave the Warriors and Steph Curry to play with a guy that you don't know if he's fully committed. And that has been the issue right now with Kyrie Irving. So, I have to imagine that Kevin Durant is a little frustrated, and that's why, you know, Kevin Durant is putting a lot on the line. If it doesn't work out, yeah, guys will get criticized, but Kevin Durant is going to face the brunt of it, and he is all the way in. When he's healthy, Kevin Durant is all about the team. He tries to play the right way. He plays hard. He's been terrific all season up until this series. I don't know exactly what's happened to him in Boston. Has had a lot to do with it. But if, if you're like if you're Ben Simmons, for example, you're never going to play with a better player than Kevin Durant. Kyrie's already had the benefit of playing with LeBron James, and when Kyrie was the second best player on Cleveland, they won a championship. When he's when he's supposed to be your best player, like he was in Cleveland before LeBron, like he was in Boston, where he was you know the elder statesman of that team or the most accomplished player, we see where that got you. Now you have a great opportunity. Now you're playing with Kevin Durant. They need to, Kyrie needs to play in over 60 games a year. The Nets need to put themselves in a position where they're you know gelling like Kyrie says all season finishing a little bit higher in the standings and then you make a run at it as opposed to just kind of lollygagging through the regular season thinking you're going to just put it together in the playoffs and hey look where we are
1: talking to yes network brooklyn nets analyst frank isola frank we appreciate a few minutes of your time try your best to enjoy game four i got a feeling that this is going to be the last nets game of the season
2: <laughs> thanks and uh chris you're too you know you're an ex-nfl player don't take uber you should be you should be getting like a uh, stretch limousine or have Chris Carlin pick you up, one of the other.
1: Well, Frank, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much money you keep. And I don't know if you talk to anybody, but I'm cheap. So I'm just
2: saying. <laughs> hey, you know what? You're, you're smart. You're a smart man. <laughs> All
1: right. We'll talk to you again soon. That is YES Network, Brooklyn Nets analyst Frank Isola jumping on Candy and Carlin. Tune in to the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters. Presented by Supercuts, download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily. Available wherever you enjoy your podcast. Coming up next, how much added pressure does the Joel Embiid injury put on one James Harden? Carlin and I will get into it. You're listening to Candy and Carlin on ESPN Radio. Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And big fella, the Toronto Raptors avoided the sweep on Saturday night and being able to beat the Philadelphia 76ers 110 to 102 on their home court. Now, there's no question in my mind that this series is all but over, but there is a big question mark about Joel Embiid, the All Everything Center. For the Sixers, the guy that led the NBA in scoring, first senator to do that since Shaquille O'Neal a couple of decades ago, he has a torn ligament in his right thumb and is expected to need surgery to repair it after the season. So do you think that that impacts this series in round one against
0: the Toronto Raptors at all? No, no. They'll wrap this up. But it, it impacts moving forward, impacts mm. next round. And what would be nice is if James Harden actually took over, right? I mean, I get it. He has done all of these little things. It step back, I'll I'll distribute, I'll do this, I'll do that. That You know, let him be, let Tyrese Maxey be the guys. That, that's all fine. You're James freaking Harden. So is it possible for you to take the fat suit off and play like you did two years ago? Is that possible? Because to me if you're if you're hardened this was getting yourself out of two different places to go win a championship so what's wrong with expecting him to go and carry the sixers when you are a superstar player of his magnitude when you're about to get 250 million by the way and when you the big guy is just frankly in need of some more help you can dole out the 10, 12 assists a game and all that. You're going to need a, a 35, a 40-point game from James Harden here at some point, Chris, if they're going to keep going.
1: And here's the thing, big fella. I'm not sure that James Harden isn't capable of doing that and having a term back-the-clock performance at some point throughout the course of the playoffs or even in this series. My question is, what version of James Harden does this Sixers team need? in order to be able to win a championship. Because everybody was assuming that we needed to see more of the James Harden that we saw when he was with the Houston Rockets and not the distributor that he was with the Nets. But so far, the distributor has been just fine. I mean, they played four playoff games, and they've won three of them. And most of those games haven't really been competitive. The first couple of games weren't competitive. Game three was more competitive. You needed Joel Embiid to hit a three at the buzzer. Okay, that's all well and good. Game four was kind of one of those, oh, whatever, we came what we came to do, which is get a game on Toronto's home court. But now with the series shifting back to Philadelphia, I- I'm not too sure that this series sees a game six. And so, from that vantage point, do we really need James Harden to do more than what we've seen him try to do, which is be more of a facilitator and get the ball to Joel, get the ball to Tyrese Maxey? I- I'm with you that this thumb injury could put more on James Harden in the way of him needing to be a scorer, but I first got to see how it affects Joel Embiid before I'm able to jump to that conclusion.
0: Well, I mean, it, listen, one way or another, Embiid's going to need help. Mm. Embiid's going to need help. And Maxi I think, is a terrific player. And, you know, if you if you actually ask me who I think is more capable of putting together one of those kind of games right now, it's probably Maxi because I've already seen him yeah. do it. And So I'd like to be able to um, continue to just believe in him, but he's still a very young player. Hardens the veteran, hardens the guy that has been here before, but has not gotten over the hump. Like there's sometimes if you're going to distribute and do all this kind of thing, and you're going to rely on Embiid, and this was your best chance to win a championship, and you're comfortable sitting back and just taking that secondary role, well, maybe that's all you want to do. Like if you're taking the secondary role – why am I paying you that money? Why, why am I, why am I giving you all that cash here? Why am I about to dole out two hundred fifty million dollars to you, if you're not that guy anymore?
1: So well, you're gonna you're gonna give him the money because what other choice do you have? Yeah. I, I mean, if you're Daryl Morey, I tell you what. You I mean, said, how many said, times have we said, already
0: said that in this show? And, yeah, and but it, it was already it's, about it's, it's, it's two players in to the, the league.
1: Kyrie situation, though. It yeah. is for a different reason. I mean, with Kyrie, it's not a matter of performance on the court. With James Harden, it is like we we still haven't seen MVP James Harden show up, whether it's in a Nets uniform or a Sixers uniform. That guy, that was in the Houston Rockets. He's not there right now. Now, am I going to say that he's incapable of doing it? I'm not ready to go that far. But to your point, if you're going to pay a guy $225 million on a contract extension this offseason for a grand total of, what, five years, $270 million, if I'm going to make that kind of commitment, I'm going to want to make damn sure that James Harden is capable of carrying the workload offensively if Joel Embiid, a player that's already had injury injuries in his past, um, isn't able to step up and perform for whatever reason, so I, I'm I'm with you a thousand percent. But I don't think Daryl Morey has much of a choice. But big fella, there's also one other question I got to ask you. Yeah. Why the hell do we know that Joel Embiid is going to need thumb surgery oh, no after the season? Why did the Philadelphia 76ers decide to put this out there for public consumption? Do it's you an know? Do you know who you're about to play in round two? You've got a date with the Miami Heat. Do I need to go into how rugged and how tough that team is? Let me tell you something. They're going to take shot after shot at Joel Embiid in that thumb and try to irritate him, try to annoy him dare I say, try to inflict harm and pain on him. I'm not saying that they're going to headhunt him, but I am going to say they're going to do everything they can to make him uncomfortable and exploit
0: that thumb injury. Why would you put this out there if you're the Sixers? I don't get it. You're not doing it to already let people know that you've got your excuse. If you lose when you're up three games to one, that's not why you do that. Or if you lose in the next round, I don't know. Um... It almost feels like sometimes we share these kind of information based on what the agents and what the players want. If, if Embiid doesn't want that, is it out there? No. No, it's not. So my question is, why would Embiid want that out there? And the only thing I can think of is that Joel Embiid right now is more concerned about his um, the perception of him playing through this and i don't personally i don't personally believe that's a thing. Yeah, i don't, I don't know it.
1: that this i don't know that this helps his legacy or this adds to the lore of Joel Embiid. Yeah, i mean you you led the nba in scoring. You averaged over 30 points a game. Now the only thing that you need to go along with that is to take your team on a deep playoff run. After you got embarrassed by the Atlanta Hawks last year and Ben Simmons ineptitude, you need to find a way to wash that stink off of you and the only way you do that is get your team to the championship rounds. That means the Eastern Conference Finals, maybe in the NBA Finals. But that's the only way you get rid of that. By saying you have a thumb injury and trying to play through it, if your team comes up short, I I don't think anybody is going to be ready to give you credit for it. But, big fella, I'm not going to let that hijack the show because we got more to get to. Coming Mm. up next, will we see a quarterback drafted in the top 10 of the NFL draft? And which team in the top 10 is the biggest wild wild card? Kenny and are calling on ESPN radio and big fella we are three sleeps away from the 2022 NFL draft and there's a lot of buzz there's a lot of smoke quite frankly in the days leading up to the NFL draft it's hard to know what to believe in and what not to believe in and so much attention is paid to the quarterbacks every single year and based on what we've heard from the NFL draft scouts nobody is going to confuse this crop of quarterbacks in this year's NFL draft well, what we saw last year when five guys went in the first round or what we saw in 2018 when you had another five guys go in the first round, this is expected to be a weak quarterback draft. So much so that our very own Todd McShay says, based on what he's hearing, they don't believe there's a team in the top 19 picks that will draft a quarterback. And his first quarterback that he has projected to come off the board is Kenny Pickett to the Pittsburgh Steelers at 20. That would make a lot of sense because the Pittsburgh Panthers and the Pittsburgh Steelers actually share a stadium in that city, and they've seen plenty of Kenny Pickett. But my question to you is, do you expect that we're not going to see a quarterback come off the board in the first half of the first round?
0: You know what my favorite game is every year around the draft? Who's the sucker? (laughs) Who's the
1: sucker, right? (laughs) It's like that movie rounders,
0: right? Yeah, there's always somebody – that has to do something that is absurd. Um, should there be a quarterback in the top 10? No, absolutely not. I don't think that for a second. Will there be in the top 10? Will somebody be a big enough sucker to get nervous with the Carolina Panthers that they are going to take Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett? And I, I Chris, I've thought about this now for, for the last... 10 days, and it's actually taken me this long because I myself quite often sucker, absolutely. (laughs) Um, If anybody's going to be able to spot one, it's me. Is there any reason to think that a coach who is desperately trying to hang on to his job is going to pick a quarterback at the sixth pick when he doesn't have another pick until the fourth round is there any reason to think that's going to happen? Like, who would do that? So I'm actually going to side on, the on, you know, the rational one and say, no, like, quarterback is not going to help Matt Rule keep his job beyond this year. Some other dominant type player, maybe a defensive end, maybe somebody that could, you know, protect the quarterback could actually help Matt Rule do that. So I say no. Yeah, I I don't know that anybody
1: is going to be able to help Matt Rule. I I just don't see it going that direction for his program in Carolina. And, Carlin, I hate to one-up you, but if you're Scott Fritterer, the GM for the Carolina Panthers, after Matt Rule's big swing and miss on Sam Donald, would you want him to be a part of the evaluation process when it came to drafting a quarterback in the top (laughs) ten?
0: Sit tight. Go get an ice cream.
1: Probably not. After you (laughs) missed with Teddy Bridgewater, missed with Sam Donald, I'm not in any hurry to give Matt rule that type of autonomy, but I do think there's going to be a team that falls in love with the quarterback. And I'm not sure if it's the Seattle Seahawks with the ninth overall pick. I don't know if the Pittsburgh Steelers make a big move and get up into the top 10, similar to what happened when they decided to move up to draft linebacker Devin Bush. But there's going to be somebody that falls in love with the quarterback early in this NFL draft. I I get where Todd McShay is coming from. He's so plugged in. He's got a million sources around the National Football League and around college football. So he he keeps his ear to the ground. So I'm not not being completely dismissive of his take, but what I am saying is you have to go back 21 years to a draft where you didn't see a quarterback taken in the top 16 picks, Carlin. That's how far back you got to go. Wow. So I absolutely expect that we're going to see a team make a big jump into the top half of the first round, probably into the top ten in order to get their hands on a quarterback. And another thing where i got to bust Todd McShay's bubble, it's not going to be for Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett is not going to be the first quarterback off the board. It's going to be for Malik Willis. And although it might not be a finished product, he does have the dominant traits that you look for where he can develop into a player that can be the reason why you win games. In terms of arm talent, this guy has no problem pushing the ball down the field. All the reports down at the Senior Bowl was that this guy could throw the ball even in inclement weather when it was raining during some of their practices. We know that he's got excellent wheels. He breaks tackles with the best skill position players that are going to be coming out in this year's draft. So I'm bullish on Malik Willis. I believe in him. Still got some questions to wonder about why he couldn't make it work in Auburn and why he had to go to Liberty in order to get his shot. But it's not like we haven't seen that with quarterbacks in the past. And what I will say is the dominant traits is what makes me fall in love with them. There's going to be an NFL coach or a talent evaluator that has a big enough ego that talks themselves into moving up into the top 10 to take Malik Willis. There is no way that the first quarterback we see coming off the board is going to be at number 20.
0: Well, here's the thing it's Kevin Colbert's last draft, right? He is leaving the Steelers, he has been there forever. And he is charged with replacing Ben Roethlisberger. So you would think that he would not want to leave that organization without their answer long term at the position. Uh, You're not the only one who thinks that. Mel Kuyper does, too. Let's hear from Mel Kuyper Jr., ESPN NFL draft analyst, on why uh, Malik Willis is the right choice for the Steelers. Malik Willis does to me,
3: Jay, quarterback out of Liberty, formerly of Auburn. I think the talent that he brings to the quarterback position is undeniable. Does he need a little time, a little bit of work coming into the NFL? Sure he does. But I think the Steelers in the AFC and that division with Burrow and Lamar Jackson. And you think about what Joe was able to do, getting his team to a Super Bowl with Lamar. Now you have Deshaun Watson. So for me, it's about Mike Tomlin identifying the quarterback. And if it is Willis, can they sit at 20 and see him fall in their lap like Mac Jones did to New England? So, uh you know, t- Talent is one out. They say Mac Jones, he's an outlier, but Talent wins out of quarterback and Malik Willis is the most talented
0: quarterback in this draft. So, look, I'll go and say top 10? No, I don't think it'll happen. Wow, okay. Top top 15? Will they trade up if he's still on the board? Yeah, I could absolutely see that happening. The Giants are desperate for somebody to believe that the Panthers are going to take him because the Giants want out of that 5th pick. I'm convinced of that. They want to get that extra first-round pick next year.
1: Yeah, I can absolutely see them trading down, but they're not the only team in the top 10 that wants to trade down. And quiet as it's kept calling, I believe the Carolina Panthers want to trade down too because they don't have a day-two pick. No draft selections in the second or third third round. So TBD, but we will see movement in the top 10 on Thursday night. You can believe in that. You can bet on that. Coming up next, billionaires doing billionaire things. Elon Musk (laughs) bought Twitter for how much? Colin and I have that answer. You're listening to ESPN Radio back after this.
3: Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio
1: and ESPN Plus. And big fella, Elon Musk doing billionaire things. The richest man in the world just bought Twitter. According to Twitter, they said that they have agreed to sell to Elon Musk, who will take the company private in a deal that is valued at, get this, a whopping $44 billion. That's (laughs) billion with a B. The deal caps off the news cycle in which Tesla and SpaceX CEO became one of Twitter's largest shareholders, and he was offered and turned down a seat on its board and bid to buy the company, all in less than a month. Of course, under the terms of the deal, shareholders will receive $54.20 in cash for each share of Twitter stock they own, matching Musk's original offer and making a 38% premium over the stock price the day before Musk revealed his stake in the company. So, your thoughts on Eli Musk? deciding that he was essentially going to spend as much as, you know, a third of what the NBA teams are valued
0: at in order to buy Twitter. I'm not even thinking about Elon Musk. I'm thinking about the guys who now walk away with that money. I'm thinking, like, you know, I don't even know. The guy who invented Twitter, is he still part of the mix? I don't know. I'm sure he is in some way. So if he's walking away today... With something that started what 2007 ish, something like that, and mm. he's got 20 Billy walking Ooh. out the door. Ooh. I'm just, Ooh. I'm thinking of that scene where the guy quits the job. I forget the movie, and I should know the movie. Blank you, blank you, blank you. You're cool, blank you. <laughs> you know, just walking out with that kind of money and dropping the mic and loving life, like just. I listen. We've all got a number. It doesn't have to even be anywhere in that ballpark. What's the number to just walk away?
1: Yeah, I, I just I I don't you, know. You what might that already is. have. It, but... I, I, no, <laughs> stop stop yourself. Like, I ain't in this ballpark. You're talking about forty four billion dollars every time the number, the number billion. When you start talking about billions of dollars, I have to remind folks a billion dollars is a thousand million, and he just dropped forty four. <laughs> Billion dollars to buy Twitter. Now, this is from Elon Musk. Free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy, and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. Twitter has tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. Can so we get that? An is why <laughs> that is why Elon Musk decided that he was going to buy Twitter because it is the bedrock of a functioning democracy, and he decided it was. Worth a forty-four billion dollar investment. Pretty incredible to have that kind of change laying around where you just buy a social media platform. Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on a CC call in line. That's triple H ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And Big Fella, game four, nets Celtics tonight at Barclays. Of course, the Nets are down 03 in this series. And it feels like it's about time to break out the brooms. But one of the guys that we thought we were going to see in this series, turns out we're not going to see him if the series ends tonight. That would be one Ben Simmons after speculation that he could play in Game 3, but that he was fully expected to play in Game 4. Ben Simmons said he woke up with back pain on Sunday and he was ruled out of Game 4. Both he and the organization came to the decision that it was not in his best interest to try to go out there and give it a go. So your thoughts on Ben Simmons deciding to keep the fashion show going and deciding not to go back out there on the
0: court. I never expected to see him. And frankly, Ben Simmons is never going to win a championship, and any team that has Ben Simmons is going to be hampered more than helped. I, Chris, I worked in Philly when he was first there. And I've told this story before he could have played his rookie year when Embiid was first getting into the league or, you know, coming off of his two years of injury and chose not to halfway through uh, when he was healthy enough to do so because he couldn't win rookie of the year. And Nike would have given him a five million dollar bonus to win rookie of the year, which he got the next year. He tapped out at LSU. He tapped out in Philly. He never attacks his weaknesses in any way. All he's interested in ever doing is posting videos that make him look like he is attacking his weaknesses. His video editors, whatever they're making, it's not enough. Because whatever (laughs) he's dropping on social media is always, always pictures of him making jump shots, making him look like he does things. Yet, when I see him on the floor, he is never trying to get better at where he needs the most work. He's only interested in looking good, off the court and on the court. And to me, this is a guy with zero competitive spirit, with zero competitive fire, with somebody that has just the most immense talent of a player his size that, you know, we've seen since Magic Johnson, I'll be honest with you, what he's actually capable of doing, Mm -hmm. He can look like that. He can. But he has – I don't know how else to put it, Chris. Ben Simmons has no guts. He has no guts whatsoever. And it's not just about not playing in this game. This is who he has been since day one in the NBA. And he and Rich Paul controlled the 76ers and held them hostage forever. And now he wants his $20 million back because they haven't paid him all the money from this year. And all he is interested in doing is standing out on that bench with whatever outfit he puts on on a particular day. I guarantee you this, his back wasn't, wasn't bad enough yesterday that he couldn't plan out what his outfit was going to be for tonight.
1: Yeah, and that's a part of the problem that I have with this whole situation, Colin. if you're injured then go ahead and be out of sight, out of mind. Don't be a situation where you make a sideshow of yourself while the game is going on. You see everybody on the bench in their warm-ups. Why don't you go out there and put on your warm-ups? You're warming up before the games. Sidebar, I think it's bizarre that he doesn't shoot in the warm-ups before the games. he, just he, he can't ever look bad, Chris. That He's afraid shoot. that it's, somebody's
0: going to see him actually but, not make a shot. But
1: it's absolutely ridiculous, Carl. And That's a part of the problem. This guy is more concerned about the perception of him rather than being in love with the game and trying to do everything he can to help his teammates win. And quite frankly, if I'm being honest, they don't need him on the offensive side of the court. What they need him for is defense because this team doesn't play any of that. They can't get a stop to save their life. And Ben Simmons could absolutely help out when it comes to Jason Tatum and him averaging 30 a game in this series, or when it comes to Jalen Brown and trying to slow him down. Ben Simmons can be an answer for 15 or 20 minutes with either one of those dudes. And that could be enough to be the difference in the outcome of the game because you're talking about all three games in this series so far being games where where the teams are within five points in the last five minutes. So I, I, that's the part of this that doesn't make sense to me. And, calling the other part that I have trouble wrapping my mind around is the last time we saw Ben Simmons, he was actually healthy in a playoff game. Now, he didn't play well, but he was in a playoff game against the Atlanta Hawks. Mm-hmm. And he looked bad because he was passing up a dunk to Matisse Theibel. He pulled the pin and handed the guy a grenade. He shouldn't have done it. We all acknowledged that was the wrong basketball play. But we haven't heard about any major injury that Ben Simmons has suffered because he had not been on the court. He hasn't been on the court. Now, the mental health issue is a serious thing, and I'm not in a position to judge whether or not that's real. But what I will say is I do find it a little bit curious that this guy hasn't played competitive basketball in the NBA, and yet we're talking about being a year removed from the last time we saw him in the court. And you still not ready to play? Help me understand that, bro, because that don't make no sense over here.
0: He didn't want to play. He he doesn't want to play. He doesn't. So want so, to so you're it.
1: telling me the Nets have two guys that prioritize other things than basketball.
0: Is, now, is that what you're Kyrie saying? To me prioritizes basketball more than Ben Simmons does. I, wow, I, I absolutely believe that. Wow, and, and I'm I'm just looking at a guy based on everything that he again. When people show you who they are, believe them. And Ben Ben Simmons has consistently shown us that he is not interested in winning. That's not a priority in his life at all. And I said this the other day, and I'll say it again. I am somebody who has dealt with issues with mental health before. And I'm sorry, I don't buy what's been going on with Ben Simmons this year because the first time that we have heard about it in his entire career came up once they saw that there's a loophole in the collective bargaining agreement that would still get him paid. And you know who else didn't believe Ben Simmons? The Sixers, because they didn't pay him. Because he's filing a grievance now to get his $20 million back. The Sixers didn't believe him. They just weren't going to publicly say it. And so it's really an issue for me. When I see all of that and you hide behind it as an excuse to get your money when it's a very real thing in this society. It's a well, very I, real thing. No Th- question about it. And it's
1: not something that should be minimized. And it's not something that should be weaponized against the team. No. Because you decide that you want to force your way out. But I have no doubt that the owners and the players are going to work something out on the next collective bargaining agreement because there's too much money at stake for owners to sit by and not do anything about it. But coming up next, the Nets, is this a, a legacy altering series for Kevin Durant? if they get swept by the Boston Celtics. Colin and I will get into it.